Welcome to the Cincy Postcast. I'm your host, Kevin Wallace, and before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about our friends at The Empanadas Box. The Empanadas Box is a small, family-owned restaurant owned by natives of Buenos Aires, Argentina, and they have Argentine-style empanadas with 22 other globally-inspired flavors available every single day. Looking for a suggestion? Well, how about the Oktoberfest empanada with bratwurst from LK Sausage? It also has cabbage, carrots, onion, and mustard that is only available in the month of September. Their empanadas are available for dine-in and carry-out, but the pro move here is to get a box of frozen ones to take home. You can also find them in your favorite food delivery app. You can check them out online at theempanadasbox.com or check the link down in the description. You can find more information there, including information on their catering options for lunches, parties, and more. And a special offer to listeners of the Postcast, well, they're offering 10% off your order at their Covington, Kentucky location if you mention the Postcast at checkout. They're at 212 West Pike Street in Covington, and I am happy to report that the staff there are incredibly nice and the Food is top notch. If you've been listening to the postcast, you know we've been talking these guys up well before they were a sponsor of the postcast. So again, special thanks to the Empanadas Box, incredible folks there. And if you go to their Covington, Kentucky location, they'll get you 10% off for mentioning the postcast. Welcome to the Cincy Postcast. It's your boy, the Chief, and you know what it means when I'm starting the episode out. That's right. Kevin's not with us this week again. And boy, are you going to notice, because I'm not quite as good as he is at figuring out how to do this whole Zoom recording thing. You're still going to want to listen to this episode, though. We are joined by the Cincinnati Inquirer's Pat Brennan. You've heard him on the postcast before. You read him for all of his FC Cincinnati coverage. He joins us to break down the FC Cincinnati international break. What can we expect from the players returning from international duty? How is Aaron Bapenza going to integrate himself into this side for the stretch run? And what exactly does success look like for Aaron Bupenza this season? We jump on over to segment two to do a little MLS roundup. The Bruce Arena story somehow got even weirder for the New England Revolution. Additionally, would you be surprised to learn an MLS player was secretly playing in a rec league? And more so, that he got kicked out of that rec league for decking someone? We talk a little bit about that. Over on segment three, we discuss the FC Cincinnati-Philadelphia Union game. Is this a trap? Should one point be enough for our expectations? Join us and find out, because the postcast starts right now. Hit it, JTM. Oh, and joining me to talk all that and more. I mean, I can't say joining me. I'm not the actual host of this podcast, can I? That's Kevin. Anyway, joining the show today, we have the one and only Grayson. Grayson, how do you find yourself on this lovely Wednesday evening here in the Tri-State as it cools down into what I think is the fake fall season, if I have my Tri-State weather report uh, correct and my weather chart? Yeah, we're starting to really get into the sweet spot for me. As somebody who walks to work every day, um, it's no longer so hot that I have to like change before I leave my office. Um, (laughs) 
And also, um, I've really enjoyed the last couple of days with the Oktoberfest traffic making impossible for everybody to get to my office, except for me. Oh, everybody nice. comes in, everybody comes in and they say, you know, I got here 8.15, it took me 45 minutes circling around to get in the parking garage. <laughs> oh, I, didn't, I didn't notice anything. No. Seemed fine. And also joining us today, a special guest appearance, who I think is now in the gold jacket club of hosting and being a co-host on the postcast. We have the one and only Pat Brennan from the Cincinnati Inquirer. You read him, you love him. You count on him for all your FC Cincinnati news. Pat, how the hell are you doing tonight? You better love him. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm doing great. It is great. This is the, also the sweet spot for me weather-wise. I agree with you, though, Chief. This is fake fall. This is yes. this is maybe first fall here in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, like second summer is coming here probably yeah. in the next 10 days. And then it'll go back and forth like that through basically November. But um as for, as someone that stands outside for 40 minutes every day that Cincinnati FC Cincinnati practices I really appreciate the cool down so this I is find that, I find that life is best when you're standing outside if it's jeans and a t-shirt weather if it could be just jeans and a t-shirt weather or jeans and a hoodie weather year round I would be so much happier on a day-to-day -day basis than I yeah. am having to decide what to wear <clears throat> excuse me and I love summer but man uh that really intense period of Cincinnati summer that we just came out of is pretty miserable, yeah. I think. So anyway, so I, I'm not a meteorologist, but <laughs> I have to uh I have to ask you then, because Grayson brought it up. You are the uh the expat, you are the the transplant here of the group, not the expat. Yeah. You're the transplant oh, hell here. Yeah. Hell um yeah. Cincinnati Oktoberfest, your thoughts in general. Uh, it's a really good question. I love it. I, I do. I love it. This is one of my favorite Cincinnati weekends of the year. And for the second year, I'm pretty pissed off that uh, I will miss it on the road covering FC Cincinnati. Um, as an Oktoberfest, I think it could be more than it is. There we I go. This is probably more than you asked for. But no, 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 let's exactly do this. Let's do Look, this. I just, I get, like, between the appearance of the the tents, you know, like, tents, not, like, verb tense, but, like, the tents right. that the actual, um, you know, retailers and, and uh, food sellers are in, it it has a little bit of a, a weird carnival vibe. And bit. then some of the stuff is just completely... Had no relation to German culture or Cincinnati culture or even beer culture whatsoever. And that also gives it kind of a weird carnival vibe for me. And I also think it's been, it has degraded itself. And I get they felt like they had to move it onto second and third street, but I don't like it down there. It's on Back Fifth Street year. now. Back on Fifth Street this year. Yeah, yeah. I, I had heard yeah. that. I had heard that. So I'm we I'm fixed happy, that. I'm happy about <laughs> I'm happy about that. Um but as a general rule, I I I love it. And I might like the idea of it more than the execution, but I love it. See, I'm so happy you mentioned the idea that it should be more than it really is. Yeah. Because I think I've mentioned it on the show before. Um, I lived in New Orleans for a couple of years when I was in college. And down there, they do a little party that some people you may have heard of called Mardi Gras. And 
what people don't know about Mardi Gras, if you're not from down there, is that Mardi Gras lasts like carnival season, lasts like two or three weeks. And it all builds to uh, Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras. What people don't know about it as well is that by the time you hit Mardi Gras, all the best parts of Mardi Gras are already done. And on Fat Tuesday, they shut the party down at midnight because historically, you know, your Catholic tradition, Mardi Gras kicks off Lent. And so as soon as Lent kicks off on the stroke of midnight, show's over. No more drinking, no more debauchery. All the bars shut down. It's the only time the French Quarter shuts down is on midnight on Fat Tuesday. Everything closes up shop. They clean the streets up. If That's you're still out, fascinating. Yeah. They, if you're still out there and drunk, you're getting tent sent to the drunk tank. The real fun of Mardi Gras is Lundi Gras, which is Monday before Fat Tuesday, and the Saturday and the Sunday as well of Mardi Gras weekend. And it's fun because everything runs 24 hours. So bars are open sun up to sundown. You're drinking, you're partying. Your your good time is limited only by your stamina, your liver, and your tolerance. <laughs> I have long been a proponent that Cincinnati Oktoberfest should be much the same way, is that Oktoberfest should kick off on Friday morning, and it should go 24 hours a day, round the clock, from Friday morning to Sunday night at midnight, and then that is the end of Oktoberfest, and the season is over. We can all move on with your lives. Go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the goal of this should all be that, the so in Mardi Gras in New Orleans, the population of the city quintuples for that weekend. Every hotel is booked months in advance. People drive in from the outskirts to come in and then drive drunk home at the end of the night to go <laughs> and do whatever it is. I don't endorse that. It's just a thing that happens. I'm reporting the news. You don't get mad at me for that. I think that should be for the goal for Cincinnati. I think that Cincinnati's Oktoberfest should strive to be the Mardi Gras of the Midwest in the fall, where it is just a party and a vibe for three days straight. And if you survive it, take your T-shirt and your mug home and tell everybody to come next year. It's really awesome. Grayson, as a downtown resident, how would you enjoy that? I don't think we can pull it off. Oh, that's a challenge that I'm willing I, to take. <laughs> I think that... And maybe New Orleans is accepted, but because New Orleans is culturally distinct from the rest of the United States. I don't think that Americans, and I mean Americans as a group, not individual Americans. Me knocking my mic there is going to get picked up, so sorry, guys. <laughs> I'll edit it. I won't um, edit it, but I'm going to say I'm going to edit it. So I, I think Americans as a group don't do like group kind of sustained drinking all that well. And I think there's a lot of factors to it. I think one is people get excited and they start to accelerate their drunk, right? They start to get higher alcohol content beers. They get shots. They do, they start pounding stuff and they get too drunk too fast Two, there's an underlying like menace to every crowd in the United States. I think we're just like kind of a constantly on edge people. And so like extremely drunken crowds, like every NFL game has multiple fights in the stadium. Um, there's not like this, there's not so much the jovial alcoholism um, that you can find in, in Germany and in Eastern Europe where they're drinking like half liters of 
4.2% beer all day and just having like a really good time singing <clears throat> songs. Maybe people are getting on tables, but it's not sloppy necessarily. You know, there'll be like one guy here or there, but like, I don't know. I just, it, it would be, I think, a disaster. But the best kind of disaster. And also, <laughs> be be the change you want to see in the world. What, what better place to bring responsible overconsumption than Midwest nice Cincinnati, where we say please when you can't hear each other, where we say, oh, when we have to scooch on by you. I think if there's one place on the planet that can do this, it's Cincinnati, Ohio. Midwest nice is part of that underlying menace to like all American interactions. You know, like that's yeah. that's that indirectness that that could quickly turn into into something else. Um, it's just kind of a different way of approaching people. Now, look, if we're get, if we're rolling out giant tanks of lager, and everybody's drinking the same, yeah, like four point two percent beer. Yes. Um, maybe you could pull it off. Um. So yeah, so this this is an easy this is an I'm easily still, I'm solvable still skeptical problem. that it's that it's that it's that it, it's compatible with with the way that Americans behave in crowds. It's an easily solvable problem. What you do is that in order to have your beers served at Oktoberfest, your Oktoberfest beer must be brewed to be under five percent ABV. So if you want to submit a beer to be sold at Oktoberfest, it's got to be an Oktoberfest or it's got to be a lager. And it's got to be under 5%. Because if we're going to go all day, we can't be having your double pastry imperial stout at like 15.2% <laughs> that likes to fight guy starts sucking back. And all of a sudden, <laughs> he's on the table with a little bit of menace to him. We can't be having that. We can't be doing that. It's for everybody's good time that we're going to limit you and we're going to keep you between the double yellows when it comes to ABV. <laughs> all right. So if we can't, if we can't do this, can we at least pat? What would your take be to your your take be to this? I think that there should be how there much like there's an ordinance that the Cincinnati Reds always open the season at home at Great American Ballpark. There should be some sort of a a proclamation made by Saint Don, first of his name, leader of MLS, that FC Cincinnati should always be home in Cincinnati on Oktoberfest weekend. That, that there should be always cool. be a home game. That would be really cool. Um, I think also if. If like Cincinnati, FC Cincinnati, and they have in the past leaned into the whole Oktoberfest thing. Um, <clears throat> but if they leaned into it like Bayern Munich, that would be cool. Yes. You know, where you see the guy like, I want to see Brandon Vasquez and Matt Miazga in Lederhosen. Yes. You no, know, <laughs> absolutely. Holding, you could even... holding giant ceramic tankards of ale. Just. This is a league that is desperate for anything kitschy and anything organic. There should be a thing where FC Cincinnati is always home on the Saturday of Oktoberfest and that there's always an edict that the team they're playing travels on Friday and both teams lead the chicken dance downtown on Friday to kick things off. <laughs> and then you're forced to have he who shall not be named and enter Miami potentially coming up to Cincinnati and you're having this guy worth casually a couple billion dollars dancing and doing the chicken dance on stage before a bunch of drunk people from taylor mill i mean that, that would be would electric be, that would be an all-time viral moment forget viral it would just be an all-time cultural moment for the city 
But look, I I was surprised when Major League Soccer leaned hard into and ultimately adopted the concept and the the moniker "Hell is Real." Um, I don't know why, you know, smart people couldn't theoretically get in a room and and make this happen. And I think that would elevate our Oktoberfest a significant amount. Absolutely. I think it elevates the, it's just, it's anything that you can do in modern society to get your content out there and get fun video on sports center and remind people that this league is actually a thing. Yeah. yeah this, this seems like a, the knowest of no brainers to me, but um, I'm sorry you're going to be missing it. That really makes me feel bad. Um, no, it sucks. It really sucks. Uh, I'm, I, I go full nerd too. I've got the, the, stupid german alpine <laughs> hat nice. with, with uh pins and shit so nice. i'm i'm really I, I get way into it do you have a it favorite you feel any better pat i'll also be in philly this weekend oh nice for the game yeah all right cool good for you let's I, talk I, offline I, about yeah. that yeah. i'll be i'll be at oktoberfest <laughs> and i i do will be jealous I will be Who, do you have a favorite Oktoberfest beer before we move on from Oktoberfest? Oh, uh, really good question. Really good question. Um I I like kind of I don't I don't I don't think Germans would call them Oktoberfest beers, but I like to and I know they've been at past Oktoberfest here in Cincinnati. I would like to go for the like the the hardcore German stuff like Planer. Yeah. Um, and I that might be Bud Light to a German person, a person of German origin. But um, it just kind of, I feel more in tune with the soul of Oktoberfest if I'm doing that. Uh, Sam Adams Oktoberfest isn't terrible. Can't go wrong. If I'm going domestic. Um, I don't want to see a pumpkin beer. I know no. I, I don't want to see a pumpkin beer at uh, at Oktoberfest. Yeah, I'll, I'll say those two. Yeah. Grayson? Um, you know, I... They don't make an Oktoberfest wine, so you have to have a take on this. I think. So I do. I I'll I'll do I'll do an Oktoberfest. Um, I don't think I'm partial to any particular Oktoberfest, but I do love just like a Pilsner or a German Lager. Yeah. Um, any of the ones that like do do it do that beer well. Yeah. And I think it's an underappreciated and under undermade beer. In in the United States among breweries. I mean, like a lot of them do like a, like a, like a light beer, like garage beer or something, but I've the, the really nice Pilsners, especially I think are few and far between. Yeah, I agree. Hardest beer to make any, any brewer will tell you the Pilsner, any imperfections you've got in the beer immediately become front and center on a beer that's that that's that's light. That's why I like Northern row is that they lean heavily into the Pilsners and the lagers and they've, if you have a brewery, you should always have at least one good lager on draft at all times and one good stout on draft at all times. And if you don't have both those two things, I'm going to look at you sideways a little bit. <laughs> I'll, um, add, I, th I think Franz is decent. Franz is where I was going to go with this. So. Guy, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm no, sorry. No, it's oh. good. No, you're the guest. The guest always gets the shine on the show. <laughs> oh, no, no, That's no. We got to do here. Uh, Franz, and then if I'm going authentic, um, and again, this could be Bud Light to them, Spotten October Oh, 1st. yeah. Hell, yeah. Absolutely. Good stuff. There's a uh, member of the Discord. Uh, join the post Discord if you're not already on there. I know Pat's got a burner on there, or maybe two. Hell yeah! Um, <laughs> uh, someone in the Discord, and I, I forget who your name is, so I'm sorry. 
um, <laughs> recommended that I've got to go check out a, there's a German restaurant apparently in Dayton, Kentucky called Tuba. That apparently is an authentic German restaurant that serves not like, you know, Hofbrauhaus food, but that you can actually get real German cooking. And I looked and I checked their website out. And this is another place that doesn't sponsor us. So, you know, go do it, whatever. Uh, they actually have a full array of actual German beers that I'm very, very excited to go check out. I've gotten, I've somehow convinced the wife to join me in a pilgrimage there. So I'm going to definitely check that out in the next couple nice. of weeks and report back. That sounds solid. I know. I'm so excited. Um, drinking and heavy German food. That just sounds like a great night out. <laughs> anyway, allegedly, this is a soccer podcast. We forget that from time to time. And we do have the beat writer for FC Cincinnati live and contributing. So I thought maybe it would be a good idea to, I don't know, fucking talk a little FC Cincinnati here. Um, we're in the middle of the international break that seems like it's never going to end. Having said that, I do want to point out, I said this last week, Pat, You'd be in agreement, I hope, that it's fantastic that we're not playing through the international break like we have in years past. I I listened to and enjoyed last week's episode. I agreed with a lot of what you guys said on a lot of different subjects. But, yeah, this hasn't been, as I'm sure we'll get into, this has not been the ideal set of circumstances for FC Cincinnati. But God be praised that they didn't have a match, you know, they don't have as many players away as Miami does. All things considered, they've had a better international break than some have had. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk. Yeah. We're going to talk about a few of those teams that had a really rough international yeah. break. But um, we've got players out on it. We had players out on international duty. Uh, players returning back from international duty. Pat, I want to. I want to talk to you a little bit about some of your own words here. I'm going to quote you from eight hours ago as we record this. The players away on international duty expected to return tomorrow are not present at training today. There are things I could say to console you, but I know most of you Cincy fans are entrenched on this, so I'll wait a little while. Pat, can you console me, please? I just I would I would like to be consoled in this moment. Yeah. Well, look. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I might be reaching here, but no, I think. I don't see any reason, even though the earliest these guys can get back and, you know, we'll see when the sun rises, if anyone touched down this evening or if anyone is present for training tomorrow. Um, it's not like these guys were sitting on their hands for two weeks. Uh, so Junior Moreno, um, Santi Arias, because of his injury history, I think you probably have to be more careful with. And Aaron Bupenza is probably a little bit clunkier to slide back in on short notice just another subject that we'll dive into more i think but um junior moreno i feel like is someone he's he's a real pro i feel like he's someone that could show up to training tomorrow and on two days notice start for fc cincinnati especially because obviously as you guys said uh, or as you guys are aware i know grayson posted about it um Arias and Moreno, again, I'm talking about him, uh, did not play in the second of two World Cup qualifiers during this window for Venezuela. So I think he, I, I would kind of want to lean toward like 55-45. He'll start Saturday against Philly. That would be my hope. So, yeah, he's getting back late. That's what I would say to console you. And look, uh, I understand people's frustration. I think you could see a little bit of the of the fresh of of the trepidation going into this window 
from Pat Noonan kind of talking about, um, you know, just we you don't know what you're going to get at this point. And it's been this way. I'm not one to want to accept the status quo, especially when it comes to how these international breaks have affected FC Cincinnati this year. But at this point in the season, I think you can assume that some of the frustration we've had about guys coming back injured, Moreno, or coming back late, um, or just getting into the country late, maybe not necessarily right. from the international break. Um, you know, that's how it's going to be this year, whatever the reason may be for that. Uh, so, but I think Moreno is a good chance to start on Saturday. And that makes me feel a lot, a lot, a lot better about yep. what I think are already slim chances going into Philadelphia. And maybe R.S. Right. too, because he didn't play uh, on we, Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Tuesday night. We we can talk more about the the chances in the Philly game a little later, but yeah. Um, is there, I guess I got, I have a couple of kind of follow-up questions on, on all of that. Um, first to stick with Arias and Moreno, is there ever a thought or any consideration that, you know, if guys aren't going to play at all or even dress for the second game, that you know, maybe they could be released a little early, right? Um, I, I don't, I don't know necessarily how that how that works. I mean, I've seen, I think uh, Denis Buanga was released early from Gabon last uh, in the in the spring. Yeah, um, Drake Calendar was allowed to delay joining the national the U.S. national team so he could play Saturday with Miami. Um, I'm sure these are incredibly complicated things. Um, and I don't know if you know anything about that. I appreciate we're putting you on the spot. No, it, those are all fair questions. And here's my expert analysis and information. I don't know. I really don't know. And I think <clears throat> it's the two players are in completely different circumstances. You know, Arias is like a national hero in Colombia, you know, probably part of what would be considered one of their golden generations. I think they've had a couple, but right. he's a really celebrated player there. I was surprised he got called in. And for him having been called in, I thought surely he was going to get some minutes. So for him to not get any, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that says about his place in that player pool for this world cup cycle. I, I don't know if, he's been dissuaded from maybe further involvement beyond this window. You know, I think junior is still at an age where, you know, we're very early in the qualifying cycle, you know, a world cup appearance for Venezuela, which I think most people would probably agree is unlikely, but if they mm -hmm. were to qualify, you know, that would be the accomplishment of a lifetime for junior Moreno. I think he would be less inclined to want to rock the boat. That's my thought on junior. So, you know, whether he goes into a window and the manager says, Hey, we don't think you're a great fit for these matches. And for whatever reasons that was deemed to be the case, this window, I, I feel like he's at an age where he still had, like, he still has to make himself available, at, especially at this point in the cycle. But um, I, I don't have a lot of good answers there. I'm, really eager to 
hopefully talk to some of those guys later this week. Um, probably most likely after the game on Saturday at Philly, because there will be another uh, window uh, before the end of the season where we'll have to think about this stuff again. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think it, I think it varies with... on the player situation. If I could real quick, yeah, sure. Go I ahead. think it, 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 it varies on the player situation relative to where he's at in the pool, what the team is trying to get accomplished in the window, you know, Drake calendar. I would expect that he probably has more flexibility than say, you know, Matt Turner, uh, just because he's probably on the outside looking in for an A team camp that the U, like the U, one the U.S. men's national team just had. I would think, you know, he probably doesn't figure to even in a competitive training environment, probably doesn't figure to get any minutes. So yeah, they can probably cut him some slack there within reason. Um, but like I said, I just kind of laid out the case for Moreno, maybe feeling a little bit more obligated to be on deck. And also, I have to say, I don't know that those guys didn't get a head start on coming to Cincinnati. Um, I don't know if anyone at the club is aware of that. That didn't appear to be the case during Wednesday morning session. If anyone was um, anyone that I would speak with uh, at training, that wasn't didn't appear to be aware of them leaving early, getting uh, released early from their commitment. But I don't know that that didn't happen either. Or, you know, like I said, hopefully I can get to these guys on Saturday in Philly and the result is such that it lends itself to uh, an open dialogue about how the, the the politics of this stuff. Yeah, and I think from a fan perspective, I would not expect that type of decision to be on the player. That's more something I would think. That's more a conversation I would think the team would have with the Federation you know, yeah. to, to manage that. Like, I, I would not expect Junior Moreno to be asking to let go from national team camp. I think that's an unfair position Yeah, to to expect a guy like that to be in. Yeah. Um, but so then um, to also ask you about, and again, I appreciate that I'm putting you on the spot and, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, whatever. With, with, <laughs> with Bupenza, <Whatever. laughs> with Bupenza, it was interesting because Noonan had made comments before the international window that Duda maybe maybe him coming back from injury he wouldn't be joining the national team and obviously he did and he played I think 70 some minutes on Saturday yeah um but that was their that was their only game and he hasn't and it was on Saturday and it was on Saturday Right. So th- we're, we're looking at four days now. Yeah. Five days tomorrow. Has have, have there been any insights into why he wasn't able to come back right away? Or anything you can anything you could talk about? Right. <laughs> right. So um I will say that I I think uh Chief, you were talking about kind of some of the stuff that was in the ether. They're just kind of it was in the aura around Bupenza arriving late after he was acquired by FC Cincinnati. Right. And it was about the uh Gabonese, you know, consulate and the days that they're open. And like some of that comes into play, I think, in Aaron's case. And I don't know if I know the game they played that he played was not in 
Gabon. I don't know. It was in Mauritania. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there was training in Gabon or. I think they trained in Morocco. Okay, all right, yeah. that's good knowledge from you. Also right. going through its own sort of catastrophe right now. That's <sighs> yeah. a humanitarian disaster. None of, right. None of yeah. If, um, if the second Aaron Bupenza was announced that he was going to Gabon, if you think I wasn't on Instagram every day looking at the Gabonese national team's <laughs> Instagram story, you would be mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, but look, what what you I think what you were saying, Chief, you know, last time, and I think we talked to a lot of the same. I think people that are juiced in in the SGs, we end up the report. I'd love to flatter myself and say that I have all this like this base of knowledge that's totally exclusive to me, me, me. But I think we end up talking to a lot of the same people, and I think what you've heard about transit, yeah, transit from. Africa to America is as difficult as you guys indicated on the last episode. So this is that if Bupenza arrives tomorrow, even though he played Saturday, like you said, Grayson, um, and you would think at that point after the match, I would think the whole team, just everyone goes their separate ways. Um, Him arriving tomorrow or you know late tonight whatever that would be a good outcome i think and probably the expected outcome for aaron uh just because you know we were talking at training today casually the people there um and someone just said it might have been john horlander he was just like you know uh, it's not easy getting to cincinnati from africa and you think about that (laughs) and it's like yeah, it's really not. I mean, if you want if you want to leave North America from Cincinnati and you don't feel like driving to Chicago or, you know, wherever the hell else to do it, there are two pathways, right? One goes to London, one goes through you can only go to Western Europe. So yeah. London I'm just, and Paris. There's only two direct flights international to Europe right. across the continent here. So I'm just doing a back out schedule for Aaron. So he's got to be on one of those two pathways getting in, I would think. And then how does he get to London and or Paris? Where's that flight coming from, from Mauritania? And is there a third leg in there? So I would think probably three legs. So I don't know. I don't want to carry water for anyone. I don't want to make excuses. I know this has been incredibly frustrating uh, for fans. The appearance of it, I think, in the absence of clear and concise explanations makes it that much more frustrating. But um, yeah, I I think Bupenza arriving Thursday would be about on schedule now. Yeah. And then we'll talk more about his situation. Air Air France does go nonstop to Newark Chot. I'm sorry. Say that again. So, (laughs) so Air France does have nonstop flights between Paris and, uh, Newark Chot, Mauritania. How long is that flight? Uh, five hours, 25 minutes. Really? Yeah, because we well, you know Mauritania is like northwest-ish. I didn't know that. No, uh, no. I, Africa. I would have I, I flunked this geography test right. so hard. It's like kind right, so of, that's, that's two, it's kind that's of closer two. to... Uh, All right. Well, that's two reasonable legs, you know, um, of travel for Aaron to get back here. 
You see, the thing is, like, maybe, maybe he should have done better. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I the, yeah. it's the thing is that, like, you're right. Like, you do end up talking to some of the same people. You know, we, in, th- a lot of this is out there. And then you end up doing your own research a little bit to it. And the part that I kind of got educated on as a result of the Aaron Bapenza thing, and it ties in a little bit to the thing we were talking about last week on the show of uh, that, like, the international aspect of soccer, you sometimes take for granted that things just don't work the same way elsewhere in the world that they do in these good old United States of America. And, yeah, you know, when I travel internationally, when I've traveled internationally, it's been a very easy process. I deplane in the UK or Ireland or wherever. I show my American passport. And in many cases, I didn't talk to anyone. I just yeah. walked right into the country and no one cared. Um and what I what my takeaway was from talking to people about from the Aaron situation researching is that the every one of these individual countries in Africa, because there is no EU of Africa, yeah. we have there's the new thing that's just being recognized, the G20 right now, the African Confederacy, I think, or what I probably have the name on that wrong. But there isn't one overarching governing body of Africa. It's a it's a continent of nations that frequently don't get along and have different immigration policies, relations with the United States, different status within the United States with the State Department and everything. And it is a nightmare trying to find solutions that are one size fits all when things are constantly shifting and it's geopolitically unstable at times. And in the best of times, it's still you know, we can have a robust debate about why this is that's going to get uncomfortable, but it just isn't on the same level in terms of relations with the United States as East, as Western Europe is. And you can get frustrated by that, but in a sense, there's nothing that you can really do about it other yeah. than just have a little bit of grace for the fact that you don't have to deal with it on a regular basis like Aaron does, or like we talked about with like, you know, getting Waboto's family into the United States. What a, what yeah. a nightmare to get otherwise you know, close family of an American employee of a major American corporation, MLS, into this country. And it's just, it sucks. And all you can do is hope that the bright people are on it and that it's Aaron gets here safely. And I I think it's, it's, you know, if this team goes on to win the supporter shield, at at least, at least a shield, I think, you know, we probably don't worry about a micro headline like this. And maybe it's more than a micro headline because it has been a consistent theme. I feel like throughout this year, but I think if they win some form of hardware this year, I don't think this follows them into next year. You hope solutions are found over during the off season. And I agree with something you guys said last week on your show, which was that, you know, saying this happens to other clubs doesn't make it doesn't soften the blow or ease the anxiety of going into Philadelphia this weekend, potentially without, or, you know, with limited availability for these three, you know, pretty freaking important players. Um, but I, I, I sensed kind of going back to something I already said, I sensed the, the trepidation um, when these players get called up now. And unfortunately it's not totally the 100% joyous moment that it should be because, and, and, you know, if it's a, if this really is happening, to the same extent that it happens to Cincinnati all over MLS, you know, that sucks for all of MLS. Um, you know, but people 
are probably not wrong to be concerned and a little bit on edge about these calls <laughs> now. It's you want to feel good for the play. You do feel good for the players. Of course you do. You know, Stanti Arias getting called up at this stage of his career is incredible, especially after everything he's been hit through just in the last year here in the States. Right. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that come the end of the regular season and certainly by the end of the MLS Cup playoffs, we aren't looking back on these windows and thinking, what if? You know, yeah. hopefully it's just something we can we can toss into the bin. And hopefully it's something where they talk about this league growing. This league has a lot of growing to do on the field. I think we all agree on that. And you can spin narratives all you want about how things are going to change because certain superstar world-class players get added to the league and the increased eyeballs on the league. But this league's got a lot of growing behind the scenes to do. And this is yeah. one of those things where they've got some growing behind the scenes to do, I think. Yeah, and to just to, you know, the geopolitical circumstances are what they are, but it does, you do get the sense from the outside looking in that maybe they could hire some more or better well, people to start I, working I, on some of these issues. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, Pat Noonan had a very raw take on that. I think uh, a couple window, two windows ago now. And I think there was some concern that maybe he had spoken out of turn on that. Maybe wasn't like totally up on some of the issues in play with that. But I, I was thinking about that today and maybe the raw take we got from him there was closer to the truth than, um, you know, people involved more closely wanted to concede. I, maybe there are improvements at the league level that can happen there. We'll see. I, like I said, hopefully this is something that doesn't haunt FC Cincinnati. I guess it would be on the supporter shield front. Hopefully right. this isn't something that haunts them into the offseason. You know, I don't think it will be, but we'll see. Yeah, even if even if Noonan wasn't, you know, fully informed on what all goes into the process or whatever, um, I thought I still thought it was a refreshing comment for him to make. Yeah, so did and I. it kind of shows like, yeah, like he also is recognizing the impact on the team right from some of right. the stuff right regardless of what the cause is acknowledging that it's impacting the team um i think i certainly appreciate it yeah uh, it's see. nothing else you can take away from his comments that what you just said and uh yeah there's there's a frustration there for him and i'm sure he you know he he's Pretty, I think he's pretty well liked around MLS. So I, I bet there are other managers, well, maybe a little bit less outspoken publicly, that probably feel the same way and um, have this uh, similar frustration. Do you get the sense, Pat, that with a lot of these things, and this is something that I've been thinking about for a while and it just sort of triggered my thought, that do you get the sense that there's too much deference to the league by figures in the league? And that there was always this idea that you have to protect soccer, like it's this delicate little flower, that if we criticize MLS, my God, what if this league goes away? We went decades without a professional soccer league. And to a certain extent, is it a sign of the growth of the league that coaches like Pat Noonan are willing occasionally now to throw the league under the bus a little bit and not worry so much that they're hurting the league with things? Um. 
Yeah, definitely. I, and also, I think, uh, you know, just taking Pat's comments at face value from back when this, I'm, I'm sorry, I cannot tell you when this interview took place, but it was his match day minus two press conference. So two days out from some match, I forget which one it was. And he, he just to paraphrase for anyone that didn't hear this, he basically suggested that, you know, MLS, I think in terms of like immigration lawyers should have been, you know, there should be a, a stronger presence of immigration lawyers that can, or just people that can get this stuff pushed through and get it done. Um, you know, I think just taking that at face value, the expectation that the league could or would be up to that task, I think is a sign of growth that the, you know, that's what the expectation is from some of these young, you know, I think Pat, it's fair to call Pat Noonan a fairly young manager in the league, um, that he would expect that certainly. And yeah, that, um, I don't know that he meant to come out and like crush anyone over what was plaguing FC Cincinnati at that moment. But yeah, the fact that he thinks he can speak freely and you know I don't I don't I don't think he was disciplined for that um you know, that certainly, not, certainly not publicly yeah right exactly it didn't it didn't come across my inbox or wire uh in that weekly uh disco email <laughs> we all get um yeah the fact that he thinks he can speak without without fear of you know retribution from the league and you know that his his input on that subject could potentially lead to change. Yeah, all of that, I think, speaks to a growing, really a quite healthy MLS, actually. I agree. So we talked a lot about Aaron Bapenza here as sort of like the focal point and the fulcrum of this conversation. Did I offer anything insightful on that? You really did, actually. No, that was good. That was yeah, good. No, that, was that, great. Was, that was great. That was, that was phenomenal. Uh, I was listening. I wasn't interrupting you. That's always oh, no. a great time, as Grayson can attest. Um, so moving on to, you know, away from the, the past, that is the international break to the future. Aaron Bapenz has been the subject of a lot of talk on this show, a lot of talk out in the FCC universe, as it were. Number one, I'm going to pose this question to you in two parts. Number one, do you think it would have been preferable for Aaron Bapenza to have stayed behind and used this time to integrate into the team a little better? And number two, how much do you really put into the thought out there in the ether that there has been a difficulty integrating Bapenza into this attack with what should be a three-headed monster of Lucho and Vasquez? Yeah. So... In turn, I mean, look, the African Cup of Nations is a huge tournament. Um, you know, being a part of the qualification process is a big deal. Um, I don't think, and they needed that win, like that yeah. was a must win game for Gabon, yeah. So uh, that's right, you're absolutely right. Um, so given all that, you know, I don't want, I don't want him to have to think about that stuff all these guys want to represent their country you know matt miazga you know said what he said at the end of last year about greg berhalter not really because he just wants to publicly flog greg berhalter he wants to play for his national team all these guys do so i don't i don't i don't begrudge aaron that um 
Yeah, you can't help but wonder what two weeks with FC Cincinnati, just tr- strictly training, no match in the middle to break it up, training with still what are still relatively new teammates. You wonder what that could have done for his for the on-field chemistry, um, because each match seems to produce a multitude of moments where it certainly looks like there is a lack of cohesion. So, yeah, my mind does go there. I do wonder what two weeks with FC Cincinnati, just working in the lab, what that might have done for Aaron. Um, Do you think the fan reactions to what we see on the field? Do you think the fans overreact too much to the body language, the the demonstrable things we see and the articulations and the gestures that make it seem like they're just not seeing the game the same way? I'm talking specifically of Bapenza, Lucho and Vasquez, or is this all natural part of growing and integrating and we really need to not worry about it so much? I think that's definitely in keeping with the personalities of those three players you just mentioned. I mean, take Acosta by himself, very demonstrative, very, well, let's, let's not say demonstrative, let's say expressive, Uh, loves, loves a gesture. Um, if he's not saying it with his words, which I assume he also is on the field, he wants to underscore his point with his hands and sometimes (laughs) his head and his shoulders and his torso, (laughs) you know, I I think that's like part of the game. You just see, sometimes you see soccer players who are by all accounts, really good teammates and they're just like gesticulating to each other so rudely it's like these guys must hate each other but then they score a goal and it's like it's all good you know I don't know I think there's also a measure of you can't you know these guys don't have a bullhorn when they're on the field so maybe sometimes uh, if someone is looking at Aaron after you know he makes a bad pass a gesture could convey to a stadium of 25,000 like hey I read this play wrong you know, that was on me. You can you can tell a little bit of your side of the story with kind of the exaggerated gestures. You know what I mean? And it's not just taking ownership of a bad play. We've all seen, you know, the thumbs up or the, the heart pat, uh, hand patting over heart as in as if to say my bad. But maybe if you felt like someone didn't read your run correctly, you can just convey that to a brought to the TV audience or whatever. I think that definitely comes into play especially with bigger players who know the cameras on them. Um, do you think that, do you think that Lucho Acosta maybe has to use his hands to talk more because he needs to be seen at eye level with other players and unless his hands are up in the air, no comments. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think there's evidence to suggest in spite of, you know, all the backtracking I just did there. I think there is evidence to suggest that they're not totally, you know, they're not, I think they would probably say there's room for growth there. You know, that's probably the nice way to say it. I also think, you know, I I agree with what you, what you guys have talked about on previous episodes. Like it's not about, you know, if you want Aaron to have the intended impact, it's got to happen like soon. And I think scoring on his debut was a great start. Um, 
I think you cannot under you cannot um, devalue the short range header against NYCFC, which really helped this team come out of its shell at an incredibly fragile moment. I think that goal, yeah. even though it was a simple tap in, essentially, like that was worth a multitude of goals for in terms of what it did for helping FC Cincinnati break out of the fragile state of mind post open cup semifinal calamity. You know what I mean? So I think he is doing more of a job than he probably gets credit for, especially based on that NYCFC goal. But um, how close do you think it was to going off the rails in that NYCFC game for this club? Close. Hell yeah. Absolutely. If they didn't come, I mean, look, someone in the team might hear me say that and they will listen and they might hear me say that and think, well, that's ridiculous. We controlled the NYCFC match from start to finish. And that's true. But if they didn't come out with that mentality and get some of the early juice from Pupenza with the finish, again, simple tap in, but someone needed to tap it in. He did. Um, Brett Halsey, the juice he brought early in that match. You know, if those igniters aren't firing, you get to the 20th minute of that match and they look up and it's still scoreless. I don't know, man. I mean, Nick Haglin talked after that game about how fragile that moment was. And I, I won't go too deep. Uh, I won't I won't go off the rails too. I don't want to get sidetracked too much here in making this point. But again, I'll just say Aaron deserves that much more credit for that goal and what it did to kind of help the team break out. I, I think it was, yeah, I think the season could have nosedived that night. And they responded the right way, but absolutely, absolutely. Right. It, it, it was a, it, by Nick Haglin's own admission, it was fragile the day after the Miami match. And um, based on my interpretation of what he said after the NYCFC game, and we were talking to him because he also scored that night, um, it was fragile going into the game too. So, so I guess to sort of put a bow on, on this portion of things, Aaron Bapenza, let's hope that he's back by the time most people are listening to this tomorrow. Yeah. Let's hope that he is fit to start on Saturday or at least play significant minutes on Saturday. Going forward this season, what should success be defined as for Aaron Bapenza vis-a-vis FC Cincinnati in the season they're having? What does a successful goal or successful season look like for Bapenza? Yeah, you know, it's kind of like dogs going crazy over here. Um, <laughs> kind of like, you know, Sergio Santos had some some rewards kick in if FC Cincinnati reached its big picture goal last year, which was make the playoffs. I think and and to that end, you know, <laughs> Sergio's contributions during the tail end of the season last year would be considered a success. Um, I think if FC Cincinnati reaches its end goal, Aaron's time here will by default have been somewhat successful. Now, I think he has to contribute in a material way to that, obviously. Um, You know, to quantify it now, I would really be, pulling counting stats kind of out of nowhere, but 
you know, I think, look, match-winning performances, match-winning goals, assists. Um, I don't care. These guys can gesticulate and curse each other up <laughs> and down the field if they need to. But if he scores two more goals that directly result in six points for them, you know, in matches maybe they otherwise would have tied or draws where they otherwise might have lost. If he is helping, is he if he is directly contributing to helping them earn points, and this has been a success. And Chris Albright, I think, will rightfully get credit for um bringing him in. You know, I think it's tough because you do have to onboard this guy, and that does take time. But like you guys said last week, there's an expectation that he would acclimate more quickly because he's a DP and because he was brought in with the stated purpose of helping FC Cincinnati win a trophy now. Right. So anything short of success now will have been, you know, this will have been a little bit of uh, an underwhelming experiment in FC Cincinnati's uh, short history in MLS. I, I I would I would only add that from my point of view, even if he doesn't meet expectations the rest of this year, whatever those expectations might be for anybody, as long as he's on the team, it can always turn around, right? So like take a scenario where like, okay, like he doesn't quite get there this year. They get the shield, they lose in the playoffs. Okay. If he comes back next year and he has a great season and they win a couple of trophies next year, right? At the end of next season, your evaluation of him has changed versus (laughs) versus the end versus the end of this season. Right. And so I think I think just when we're talking about like what success has it worked, we're always talking about like up until this moment. Yeah, and as time moves on, your set your sentiments on this can change. It's so tough with soccer because other sports you can look at. There's so many more counting stats you can look at to determine what his contributions look like. You yeah. can base hits, RBIs, home runs, rushing touchdowns, receptions, tackles, sacks. Soccer, for lack of, it's part of what makes this game beautiful and frustrating and fun is it's a it's a binary thing are you winning or are you losing yeah and what's funny about that is sometimes you tie so it's not even really a binary thing <laughs> but yeah. it's it, it's reductionist to say but the, i really do think the threshold question with aaron is the team winning and yeah it, it, six the season will be successful and aaron will be successful if the season is successful and if they're hoisting a cup uh the supporter shield at the end of this year and aaron didn't score a lot of goals he was still a starter on a team that won a shield. Yeah. And, you know, you, it's hard even to say that, like, there was um, one of the goals they scored against Atlanta. They score it because Bupenza is making a run that draws people off yeah. Brandon Vasquez, and Vasquez is a wide-open look. And that mm-hmm. doesn't show up in a stat sheet. It just doesn't. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that goal happens, and that comeback happens, and that's a road victory, three yeah. points on the road in part, because Aaron Bupenza does something smart that you have to watch back and see that you're not going to see in a box yeah. sheet. And you so, know what? Just if I could build off that chief, you know, he is 
the best option at that position right now to play alongside Brandon Vasquez. I mean, just, you know, regardless of, you know, preferred foot and which side of the formation they like to play on, like there's no one else I would rather have up there with Brandon right now. Um, I, Sergio Santos did a really important job earlier in the year when they had to kind of piece wins together, piece the attack together in the absence of Brenner. Um, but it's been a while since he's scored and he's, I, I don't think he's looked uh, very good at all, like, frankly, against Miami and then against Orlando. It just looked a step, a step and a half off the play where he needed to be. So I prefer him over Sergio. Um, we haven't seen Don Baggi in a long time, obviously, but consistently. Um, I've seen a lot of him in Milford. Yeah. Uh, you know, I li- I think Aaron brings more – yeah, look, Don Baji is a depth piece, you know, and, you know, the list goes on and on. So building off what you were saying, Aaron is the guy at that position. And uh, regardless of counting stats, uh, he's the best thing you have going to put in terms of two striker system and playing alongside Vasquez. And if you're from the club and you don't like anything Pat says, we made him say it. Obviously. What did I say? I don't know. <laughs> just just putting a cap on that. Yeah, just, it's just <laughs> Yeah. We held him at gunpoint and forced him oh, to any bad oh, takes. Yeah. Like. No, uh, yeah. 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 I part of the job is to be somewhat opinionated. You right. know, I really I really back away from the opinion side of my job now. And less so in kind of my takeaways writings. Um, I'll I'll lay down a an opinion or two in that in those pieces. Um but in terms of like, you know, getting up in the morning and like really searching for a good scrap on X, I'm not <laughs> a, like my, my appetite for that is so low right now. So, uh, but yeah, there's still an opinion piece to to my toolkit. So, my God, they. We gotta work on your Stephen A. We work on your Stephen A. Smith voice. I think that. Well, then I need. Yeah, my delivery is (laughs) my verbal. My verbal delivery, (laughs) fine tuning for sure. Increase the volume of the take and the heat of the take, and you can never (laughs) quite go wrong. All right. Well, that'll put a wrap on our FC Cincinnati talk. Pat has graciously considered and consented to join us for the entire run of segments today. I just volunteered him to do that. So there we go. We're gonna go on to segment two. Segment two coming up on the other side of Jim Trace and the ad read. We've got a little MLS roundup. We're going to talk a little bit about the Bruce Arena saga, which inexplicably took an even weirder turn over the last couple of days. Uh, We've got a hell of an impersonator story coming out of the league. And what does the Aaron Rodgers story give us as insight for the future of MLS? So stick through the break. We'll be back in just a second. This episode is also brought to you by Cincy Shirts. Look, you know Cincy Shirts. You love Cincy Shirts. They've been with FCC from the beginning. And we here at the Postcast, we're just huge fans of their work. They were very early sponsors of the Postcast here, and we have always enjoyed their work. If you head on over to CincyShirts.com, that's Cincy with a Y, Shirts.com, and check out using the promo code THEPOSTCINCY, all one word, all caps, 
you will get 10% off your order and you let them know that we sent you. Like they have MLS and MLSPA licensed FCC gear available online and at their two retail locations in Hyde Park and Fort Mitchell. If they don't have your size on the shelf, they can print you one on the spot. That is a fantastic feature and something that I have used as well. So again, special thank you to Cincy Shirts. Head on over to their website or check the link down below in the description for the promo code ThePostCincy for 10% off your next order. And a huge thank you to Cincy Shirts. Oh, and we are back. Was that a good Kevin Wallace impersonation? I don't care if it wasn't. Um, <laughs> we are back. We are back. Um, <laughs> folks. I'm not gonna do one. No. <laughs> Uh, anyway, little uh, segment two, a little MLS roundup here. Um, I think the story of the league right now, and really the story of American soccer right now, is the the culmination to the Bruce Arena saga, where the team allegedly refused to train for a day. There was a all-hands meeting, which apparently got a little out of control. And then some of the most massive spin I have seen on a story in a long time, where somehow no details were revealed whatsoever about the underlying cause of everything going on right now. Um, yes. So, Grayson, report- you want to fill in a little bit of the gaps on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't really fill in the gaps, but I can kind of lay out what has been reported, uh, primarily from The Athletic. Um, Jeff Carlisle at ESPN has also been on this beat a little bit. Um, there's also a lot of New England, I think, like fan kind of accounts that have said a lot of different things. Um, I'm not. Don't ever listen to fan accounts. That's rule number one in life. <laughs> I'm not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna steer clear of stuff that I saw um, from them, except for maybe one thing that I found incredibly bonkers and don't believe for a second. Um, Let's signal boost that definitely then. So, so um, as as everyone. Well, if you've been following, you you know that Richie Williams, Bruce Williams, long Bruce Arena's longtime top assistant, has been the interim coach. And the Athletic reported, we talked about this in the last episode, that he was actually the genesis of the complaint about Arena's allegedly inappropriate or improper remarks. As an aside, I really would love reporters, and this is really a note for you, Pat. Um to be careful about where they're putting allegedly, right? Because if you if you're gonna say like Bruce Arena allegedly made improper and inappropriate remarks, that means the question is, did he make the remarks or not? But they are definitely inappropriate and improper. But I've also <laughs> seen people say he made allegedly improper and inappropriate remarks which means that he definitely said something. And the question is, is this inappro- inappropriate and improper, right? And then we're this arguing like, about is, like whether the remarks themselves that's, are, are that's the kind of That's the kind of rhetorical breakdown I come to this show for, and I know <laughs> I will get from Grayson on a consistent basis. Well, it's kind of like the uh, the Patrick Mahomes tweet. I don't know if you saw right. it. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, placement, the, placement, the placement of the comma. Where, yeah. yeah, where it was... Um, hate that man versus hate that comma man. And uh, the comma makes a big difference on what his thoughts about Aaron Rodgers are. 
when I first saw it, I was like, I was like, I love the competitive fire out of Pat yeah. Mahomes here. Yeah, <laughs> hate that man. One less comp, one less competitor down. Um. Okay, so um, then uh, the athletic reported Rogers. Rogers would understand. He doesn't talk to his own family. So. <laughs> then the athletic reported that um, they had that the the team staff, I guess, like the coaches. Uh, Kurt Anolfo. I don't remember if the team president was involved as well. They had like hours of meetings with the players where according to the reports, the players were asking a bunch of questions and getting basically no answers, which makes me wonder like what exactly was being said for hours. But, but then they reported that the players refused to train there's a little bit of dispute on this um, where Kurt Anolfo said that there was a mutual decision at a press conference today that the players never refused to train. I, we don't exactly the truth. I highly doubt that Tom Bogert and Pablo Maurer and Jeff Carlisle would report that unless they had a pretty reliable source that told them that was the case. Um, so then after the meeting on Tuesday, Tuesday night, the revolution announced that Richie Williams no longer going to be the interim coach. They elevated Clint P, the Revs 2 coach, to the interim coach title. Uh, Dave Vandenberg and Shaori Joseph uh, mutually departed from uh, from the club. Uh, those were the two assistants who had publicly expressed support on social media for Bruce Arena. And there was really no mention of what Williams's status was moving forward. Um, fast forward to today, um, Anolfo did say that Williams was still an assistant coach on the team, but that he's he's experienced in soccer and he felt a change needed to be needed to be made. This is all very similar to when I applied to college and I wasn't rejected by schools. We just had a difference of opinion as to whether or not I should attend. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Anolfo also kind of broadly characterized everything that happened as quote unquote baloney. Um, and it seems like based on what I've seen on Twitter from folks who were at the press conference, uh, didn't provide very much information and made a number of, at least in, writ in written form, I would characterize as snide or sarcastic comments and dismissive comments about um, what's been going on the last few days. So Pat, I, I pose this to you <laughs> as, as all way of, of saying, shouldn't this be a little bit of a bigger story that this is an absolute meltdown of a MLS franchise in real time, in mid-season, number two in the table on the Eastern Conference. Yeah. This is a massive, massive story you know, in MLS, right? Yeah, no, it is. And I, I was going to say, you know, with your added context there, that's what makes it, you know, that's what 
kind of makes me think this is this whole thing is being undersold a little bit. The caliber of season that New England is having. I mean, they could finish runner up in the supporter shield still. Um, I have thoughts and concerns that that will not happen now, just based on what's transpired. Um, but just taking an isolation and, for, you know, setting aside the, I think what most people would consider, they're, you know, what, nine points back of FC Cincinnati in the shield race and in yeah. the East. But, you know, um, anyone would consider that a good to great season, a very effective season. <laughs> Putting all that to the side, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is, sad unfortunate bombshell stuff and um you know bruce arena uh was the principal architect of what had been an mls franchise that i think was on life support prior to his arrival in the middle of the yeah. 2019 season and he built out a juggernaut and a shield winner and a team that i thought and I still part of me thinks a team that could still give FC Cincinnati problems in the postseason if New England is able to kind of keep the locker room together and keep the first team environment just kind of straight line focused on what they still have to play for. But um, yeah, it was also a reminder that, you know, the arts of damage control and, you know, New England had a rough week. I think that's the, <laughs> that's that's, that's the, the understatement of the century. I mean, it's it's really troubling. The you know the whole thing is troubling. Frankly. Well, so the, the, to put this sort of in a different context from your background as a reporter. The league does this, this level of opacity and this refusal to answer really basic questions about, like, I always go back to this idea that can you imagine if pick any team that has finished second in NFL recent memory? Yeah. Can you imagine if like the Cincinnati Bengals, the number two seed in the AFC, if they dismissed Zach Taylor two weeks before the end of the regular season or three weeks before the end of the regular season and offered no explanation whatsoever as to what the grounds for it were. Or if like right before the NBA playoffs started, if like the Denver Nuggets fired their head coach and it was like, why'd you do that? Uh, an investigation partially confirmed some allegations that wrongdoing happened. Why is this league so horrendously opaque with the people that cover it, with the fans that support it, and just with everything in general for what should be big stories. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. because I, I'm a believer, and this is coming from a journalist who obviously wants to get all the details all the time, <laughs> and organizations with, you know, public, you know, effective public relations staff just feel differently about that. But this is yeah i'm a believer in 
the truth will set you free. And I think New England could be moving past this already rather than wallowing in it had they been even just a little bit more forthcoming. Yeah, some people would have still been asking for more details and more details and trying to get to the absolute very bottom of it, which I would think is still likely to happen in the end anyway. You know, very infrequent are the instances when major situations like this arise and the truth ultimately does not come out or some form of the truth. Um, I think I, I feel like you move past it quicker. Um, you know, maybe there's a period where the heat is a little bit more intense. If you own up to some of the things and bring to light some of the facts of the situation that otherwise might have been obscured from view. But I just I really believe the truth would set them free to borrow a lame yeah. cliche. And, and I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's It's been really tough to figure out because I feel like it's a story that I've just been very interested in. Yeah. For, I think, very obvious reasons. And it's been tough to talk about. Because we really have no information about what yeah it what is was done and like I don't want to I don't want to speculate yeah you right? see me reaching about what for the right about. words here you see me reaching yeah. the right words here I, I don't want to misstep um, I've seen tweets today that were highly suggestive of reasons why no substantive details have come out and that makes me you know tentative about saying well they should be volunteering some of this stuff. I just don't know. There's so much unknown about this situation. And I'm sorry I cut you off. No, no, no. I, you know, I think I, I'm on the same page with you there. But all I'm left with is like, yeah, maybe, maybe the situation is of a kind that there wasn't going to be like a clean uh, process, right? But, you know, given the events of this past week, it certainly doesn't feel like it it was it was handled you know the ideal way and i do want to throw in just as an aside we did speculate on sun on monday's episode that um Kaylin Kyle might have been shoved in the closet for uh her unfortunate descriptions of these types of comments as Grayson freezes on the of Zoom. The, was that she was suspended for uh, uh, 30 days by MLS. There you go. Well, sometimes we, even a broken clock is right twice a day, I guess. Well, I don't um, know if that's, I don't know if she's, I don't know if it's right, but. Oh, you mean our, our speculation? Yeah, of our speculation. Yeah, right, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, we occasionally get that right. I always counsel people in these types of situations that you turn a one-day story into a five-day story when you let details linger out of, out of sight of nowhere. And so now, as a result of the way New England has handled this, and maybe yeah. there wasn't a better way to handle this, is that it's a story now. It was a story yesterday. It was a story over the weekend. And inevitably, when details leak out about who reported what and what was said and what was not said, 
it'll be a story again yeah. when you could have just gotten all the details out. You could have ripped the Band-Aid off. And you, instead of having a, a month-long bad story, you have a one or two-day yeah. bad story. I th that's all I meant by the truth will set you free. Yeah, You're not going to feel good about this. But yeah. you can wash your hands of it more quickly, I think, um, if you're more forthcoming by your nature. And I also, you know, I think this it's important to acknowledge, and FC Cincinnati fans might appreciate this, this hits a lot closer to home than uh, some people might realize. I, obviously, Bruce's son, Kenny, is on the FC Cincinnati coaching staff. But I was struck today uh, out at Milford watching the team train. There was a portion of the training session where Kenny was in charge, uh, more or less. You know, look, and there's nothing underhanded about that. He was very involved in that particular portion of training as all the assistant coaches kind of tend to take their turn leading various aspects of the session um again nothing underhanded there and you know kenny was just he he was he was barking out orders to the team as any manager or assistant coach would on you know the wednesday before a match and i was just so uh really profoundly impressed by that because the pain he must feel right now on a, you know, on a personal level to have his father in, the, you know, I know, you know to have your father caught in this situation. And I know that's the life some people would say like, well, that's the life his father chose and brought his family into. And then Kenny became a coach and that's the life that Kenny chose. But I don't think it's that simple. You don't, no one signs up for these situations and setting aside whether, you know, Bruce was wronged or whether he had this outcome coming. I just, I hurt for Kenny to have his family go through this experience, you know, the suffering that must be, I, I don't, I don't know that level of psychic pain, you know, a few people will. In, in yeah, and I think also Pat Noonan is uh, pretty open about the fact that Bruce mentored him, really brought him into the coaching side of the game in an important way. Played for Bruce, and I'm sure Pat is, you know, not probably not to the extent that the Arena family is going through it. I'm sure Pat's going through it too, and uh, you know, it's. Uh, I think it's an important moment to recognize the human side of this business. And um, I don't know, I guess I was just impressed to see Kenny out there being a professional, doing his job in these circumstances. It's, it's not easy. It, it cannot, it can't possibly be easy. And uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's a tight, it's a tight knit fraternity with a lot of these guys and the people yeah. that give you your opportunities or people that you, our mentors to you and people that you call on for advice and people that you call on, you know, who are friends in the business. It's just, it's, and, you know, don't want to get too deep into it, but speaking from experience, it, it there is never a time in your life, no matter how old you get, there's never a time in life where it's good to see people criticizing your old man. Yeah. For yeah. any reason. It's and just, it's you know tough what? to read. I it's, I bet it doesn't get easier for Kenny because yeah. you know throughout his life, his dad has been in this profession. He grew up with that, 
you know, and very few coaches get to walk away from a job on their own terms. These people are, you know, a lot of coaches say, you know, we're, it's cliche, but we're hired to be fired. And in, in many cases, that is true. Some of the exits are more graceful than others. But I just have to think that um, that's a hard life to, you know, the the incredibly high prominent posts that Bruce has held throughout his career. And, um, you know, to ride that roller coaster as a family member, as a son, a son looking up to your father. I just I have a I have a lot of uh, admiration for Kenny. You know, just just being physically present yeah. at training this week and last week, and and for however long this has been going on, publicly and privately, uh, the pain must be intense. And um, you know, to not only be present but to be a contributing member of these FC Cincinnati training sessions this week uh, and last, I you know, I think there's a shout out there that and some acknowledgement that. You know, FC Cincinnati fans, just on a human level for myself, you know, it's that's a, that's the kind of dedicated professional I think you would want in any organization. So, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, it sucks. And keeping your professionalism when everything is a maelstrom around you, yeah, and your family is, I don't know uh, how you do it. no, no, that's, uh, God, hats off, honestly. Um, I, don't, I don't mean to bring the mood down. I just feel no. It's it's a it's a hell of a point. It is, and it's like we've kind of danced around it a little bit because you know, I like Kenny a lot, and yeah. I think that he's an asset to the organization. And I just you know, I don't know if he listens. I, he was gracious enough to join us on the show. I hope to God he doesn't listen. I hope he's doing. <laughs> I hope he's finding better things to do with his time than listen to us yammer on. But our uh, our thoughts are with him and his family. Because I've to a much, much lesser extent, I've been there a few times. Um, on a lighter note, to sort of bring the mood differently, uh, Grayson, you flagged this uh earlier when we were doing our show prep five minutes before we started. Um <laughs> apparently uh CF Montreal had a player that had assumed a fake identity. And was playing in, I guess, the equivalent of a uh, a men's league, where he was suspended and banned from the league for punching another player in the face. Um, I bring this up because I love this story, and I uh, I, I want to ask you, Pat, if you had to guess which player on FC Cincinnati is currently running in the men's leagues locally, I need two answers right here. Number one. Who do you think is the most likely to do it? And number two, of the people that you think might be on this list, who's the most likely to get a match ban in a men's league for slugging somebody? Wow. Well, <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have no, to answer the second hey, listen, part of that I'll question. I'll tell you, <laughs> you'd be surprised, man. It may or may not have happened at, at a, a long ago moment in FC Cincinnati's history. Uh, there may have been men's league situations. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, I've seen I'm not, going dangerous, not, not during the MLS years. Let me just say that. Not I the- in, in, in 2019, I saw, I'm not going to say who <laughs> I saw a active FC Cincinnati player 
playing in a in a men's league um during during the MLS season. Not gonna say who, but wow. I was playing on the field afterwards. So I I this is an eyewitness. Yikes. <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was late in the year, and I, I'm not going to say more than that. It was late in the year. Well, then he really wasn't risking anything of the season if it was late in the year in 2019. <laughs> what were they going to do? Fall out of last place? <laughs> um, you know, speaking of that, like you, sorry to, to backtrack, but um, you were talking, Pat, about the the state of the revolution when, when Bruce took over. I remember in 2019. Before he took over, they lost. They us. were they were demonstrably worse than us. Oh yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Like, that we, was a we, they were they were a worse team. It was the perfect contrast. Yeah. It was the perfect contrast. Five games into the season, FC Cincinnati goes up to bitterly cold, sub freezing uh, Gillette. Really beats Brad Friedel's Revolution. Pretty, I think the score was two nothing or two. It was two, two nothing. One. Okay, yeah, nothing or two to one. Well, yeah, it's two nothing. nothing I'm pretty but sure. I, it it felt like yeah. It really felt Kenny safe. I think scored a goal in that game. So to yep. Mane, wow. <laughs> um, Let's go. You know, it. I mean, they, they controlled that game, and that was two in a row for FC Cincinnati. And you thought, whoa, you know, we could be on to something here because it was results <laughs> in three straight. All of a sudden, they were up in like second or third place, and there was an international break and. And, well, uh, I was I was dancing on so many graves like oh, people. Yeah. I was yeah. quote tweeting people saying who's going to score the goals to this team. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. don't worry about it, baby. All gas, no brakes. Yeah. And then Kenny Kenny Safe was the signing of the century. And then yeah. Anyway, by July, Bruce Arena was uh, in charge for uh, I want I, I think a healthy piece of the season, and they came to Nippert and they put it on FC Cincinnati. I mean the turnaround. And the culture reset obviously took a while to get to where they eventually set and still hold the single season points record in MLS, but, um, you know, winning a shield and all that. But uh, Bruce just got that thing firing in the right direction so quickly. And I must anyway. Say, I cut I cut you off again, Grayson. No, 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 no. no, no, no. I still want to know. I, I still want to know. Anyway, Matko Milievich story. Who's who on FC Cincinnati's? Who would you have pegged right now to be a secret member of a men's league? <laughs> uh, so let let me just preface this is I'm going to answer this question in jest. There's there should be no suspicion whatsoever that this is actually happening. Right. And it, your mind goes right away to the depth players, right? For me, anyway. Um, and for for some reason. He's so good natured and he was good enough to retweet a story of mine over the weekend. There we go. And he would never do this. But Evan Loro. Yeah. Comes to mind. <laughs> and I, I probably he only comes to mind because, you know, he's in the position he is in the goalkeeping depth chart. But um, man, he's a good guy. I feel I feel dirty suggesting he would even I hope he's I hope he's out there and doing this and I hope he's not playing goalkeeper. I hope he's doing <laughs> step overs yeah, and yeah. I hope he's scoring goals and styling on people. I mean, this would have been such an easy question to answer in like 2020 or 2021 when there were like so many known malcontents, you know what I mean? 
Um, the, the answer then was Yap Stam. He was absolutely out there <laughs> wrecking ankles in a men's league. Two footing people. Two footing accountants. I think he. Was, <laughs> I think he was. He might have been two footing club accountants because they would play out at Milford, and by all accounts, like I know a friend of mine uh, who has since moved on from the organization. I think Nutmeg Diop, and that didn't happen again that day. And it like the physicality of the match for that individual, um, I think, increased substantially, and he was on the receiving end. of all of it after I think it if, happened. So, I think if you I think if you dosed Yopstam with true serum, I think he deep down he believed he could have still played in MLS on that FC Cincinnati team. I mean, he was in he was in good enough physical shape, you know, like and the dude like he did a lot of work like long distance like running and not like ultra stuff, but like longer distance running and biking on a little Miami trail. Um I think he definitely would have been fit enough. And God, he could ping the ball still. My God, man. So could yeah, possibly Yop, have been worse than the players we were starting during that time Yop period. Might have been. Um in the past, if you don't mind, I feel more comfortable like including the whole player pool from throughout. Go for it. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Stim Sim de Young. <laughs> what a pull. I love I could see him just being like, screw it. To hell with this, <laughs> and just showing up at a Gotham, a Gotham League match, <laughs> you know, at old, uh, the old stadium where Nipper or where uh, TQL Stadium now stands, mm -hmm. the high school football stadium they moved for TQL Stadium. I could have seen him showing up on like a a frosty, frigid, you know, January night, just. Yeah, I now, see, I'm just picturing now, like, good friend of the podcast, Jeremy Lance, with Gotham Soccer, looking at his ID card and be like, that's funny. You don't look like a Ron Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know. <laughs> so um, maybe even someone who was really checked out bringing their wife and playing in one of the co-ed leagues, you know. Oh, I'd love that. That would be that would be great content if you found out about something like that. And you could write about the oh. FC play FCC player and his wife moonlighting in a rec league, a, a, <laughs> a mixed rec league. So I don't know if you remember this, Pat, but there was a um, so the 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 data guy that who was from the Netherlands that worked for Gerard. Uh, yeah, he he gave an interview to a to a Dutch magazine about his time working for FC Cincinnati. Yeah. And um, this was an early post article. I don't even know if you can still find it on the website because we moved the website over. But I um, I took the Dutch article and put it through um, Google Translate, and they do they do talk about um, in that article, uh, Stom setting up the teams where it was like literally like coaches and like anybody who was like a former player was on one team. And then everybody else was on the other team. And he was talking about like how hard they, they went in on their on their tackles against the staff. And I'm like, this is this is the way he's describing it, it sounds like psycho behavior. That's I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's like exactly what happened, yeah. but the way he described it is psycho. I mean, like the, it's like the longest yard, except Burt Reynolds isn't involved on the other team. It's like the star <laughs> quarterback. I mean, right? where is the pleasure in that? 
if if you're doing like I used to play pickup basketball in college, I was I a good basketball player? No, absolutely not. But you know, it was like the absolute best workout I could get because it was a competitive environment. Sometimes it would get a little testy, and you got like just everything you would want out of a workout. Um, and I would think that would be the main priority in this in these Milford pickup game scenarios. So if I were Yop, I would think I would forget taking his perspective. I think he would want to align himself on a team full of the accountants, the communications people, and then challenge himself to beat a team full of assistants and like real players. But on the other on the other hand, I mean sometimes it's just fun to turn the difficulty level down on Madden and win 115 to nothing. Sometimes you just sometimes you just yeah. need to win one. And there wasn't a lot of winning for Yap going on otherwise. Maybe he just needed, you know, I need to feel good driving home one day about yeah. winning something. Sometimes Cardell Jones just has to play against the cancer kid. <laughs> and then clarify <laughs> later that he actually scored three more touchdowns after the picture was taken. Yeah. Um Cardell. so Pat, um yeah. I I used to play pickup at the arc i don't know if it's still there oh absolutely. i don't know if it's still standing either but i used to play there um and yeah i mean it was fun because i mean there were better players and worse players but yeah by and large it was like a competitive atmosphere and you're yep. just running up and down the court yep there was one day um late in the year when a couple of uh players from the team who had just declared for the for the draft so we're not coming back brought their friends and just jumped in that wasn't that was not fun yeah every now and then you could find yourself in a really bad situation where like even like guys from like back-end guys walk-ons from the football team who still had you know they had recognition walking around and they're insanely athletic so, you know, they're dunking all over the place. You can find yourself quickly in a bad spot where, like, a team needs a player and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to, I'll, I'll run. And then you're just, like, on a court, a full-size regulation NBA-size court with people whose athleticism is in, like, the upper half percentile of human beings on the face of the earth. And you're just getting torched and demoralized and it's miserable. There was a into a game one time, an outdoor game where Jared Sollinger, who was ultimately a first round draft pick, he had a cup of coffee with um, Austin. Austin, yeah. Then he went overseas, and I last I saw he was playing in uh, TBT with uh, some Ohio State alums, Carmen, Ohio, I believe. Yeah, that's that's right, that's right. Uh, Carmen's crew, Carmen's crew, Carmen's crew, yeah. And uh, so I get, I guess he's out of the game, but. he was he had already declared for the draft it was like almost summer some kids had gone home for the year and he's just effortlessly raining threes down and you know it was uh there's no fun in that yeah no i played pickup basketball a while ago with a man what just incredibly yoked introduced himself as kurt you mind if i join this game it was curtis bostic former uc legend who even 20 years out of school just made a mockery of the pickup game at the Beachmont Racket Club. <laughs> not 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 great for your boy. Those it, guys just never lose it all. Nope. They never yep. lose it all the way. 
never lose it all the way. And the fun thing is, is you age into old man game. And he when when you're when you're at that level, you aging into old man game just means that at any point during the game, you can absolutely truck someone backing down for a uh, shot on the low block or make a three pointer on command. It's oh, just yeah. it's yeah, it's hard. It's at a different speed. And dear God, one of my favorite stories ever was there was this thread that was going on on Reddit or Twitter or something where tell your your story where you playing a high school sport or whatever you came into contact with someone that later went to the NBA or went to the NFL or what that was like. And the entire thing was just people talking about, I was on the field with Joey Porter when he was in high school, I caught a pass and I was hit so hard. I thought I couldn't walk laying on the ground or that, you know, I was on the field when Chris Johnson running back for the Tennessee Titans uh, he played against our high school. He scored 11 touchdowns and ran for 700 yards in a single game. I don't think anyone touched him the entire time. Like, and it's just like, it's reading stories and it's almost like encounters with space aliens. Like what happened <laughs> yeah. in this moment right here yeah. where you realize like, you know what? These people are barely the same species as me. Yeah. Like I'm a genetic disaster yeah. compared to what's going on there. <laughs> My story with that would be, uh, you know, I transferred to Ohio State from a Division three school where I played soccer. And um, it was it was like a respectable Division three program. I'm comfortable saying I was not a contributing member of it, the team, but <laughs> I was on the team. But you were a participant. And that's we, the important part. We, we were a respectable program in a league of. Better respected programs, and there was a kid on uh, a team that would you know, regularly win national championships, division three level, Kai Kasigurian, Kai Kasigurian. He was ultimately drafted, pretty impressive, actually. He was drafted by the Chicago Fire in the Super Draft out of division three. That's probably pretty hard to do. And my close encounter was watching him warm up because I was not good enough to even get on the field that night. That's, <laughs> that's, that's as close as I got to an elite athlete during my own modest playing career. Ty Kasigurian, Wikipedia tells me, had 31 appearances for one of your favorite places, a place near and dear to your heart, Pat. Yeah, the City Islanders. Yeah. The City Islanders. That's right. Yeah. One of the one of the esteemed locations you found yourself locked into on occasion. What a place. What a place. Uh, hit this last bit quickly just because I found it interesting. And, you know, it's a little bit of non-soccer content that we're also famous for here. Um Thoughts and prayers, T's and P's to Aaron Rodgers, who ruptured an Achilles in the most Jets way possible, um, which you as a Philly sports fan, you have to appreciate just the bitter irony of a New York team failing like this. Four plays into the season, um, which my favorite thing I saw online was he made it three plays longer than Abraham Lincoln, which is just... Oh, don't be shocked. It happened 200 years no, ago. That's that's not what I'm shocked about. That's an okay joke, but... I can't believe you didn't mention this about Kai Kasigurian well, on his Wikipedia just... page. After his illustrious soccer, because this is very postcast, this is relevant. Yeah. After his illustrious soccer career, Kai had star turns in local community theater productions, largely at Salt Performing Arts. Most notably, Kai received critical acclaim for his portrayal of Henry yeah. Jekyll and Edward Hyde in Frank Wildhorn's hit gothic musical thriller, Jekyll and Hyde. Never knew him to be a thespian. Yeah. 
Never knew. Not, that's that's unsourced. On it's unsourced. Yeah, he he definitely wrote this. <laughs> There's no doubt he edited his own Wikipedia page here. <laughs> God damn it! I need something in there beyond just being a soccer player. I'm a human being. God that's incredible. It. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> uh, so no, it's true. He did play Jekyll and Hyde. There's an article from May 10th, 2023. Uh, Pat, I'm gonna wow. Um, I'm gonna post this link in the uh, in the chat because there's a picture of him as both Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> I mean, at Brennan, this is your life. Yeah, really. <laughs> this could have been you if you've been better this at soccer. Wow, incredible, <laughs> incredible, and this the dateline on this story not too far away from where the escaped murderer uh in the suburbs of philadelphia was finally apprehended hmm. this day september 13th 2023 that date <laughs> that date might be um <laughs> that date might be i i yeah may 10th that, 2023 that article might just be automatically updating because there's a facebook post from may 2022 no but i mean the dateline like yeah uh the geography yeah. Well, here's Chester a YouTube Pepsi. video of cooped up cabaret from 319 okay. 2020. We can, we can stop now. Where he's singing. <laughs> it's his he sings this is this is this is Oh, the we've moment. gotten into theater. Grayson's done. Like there's um, no more soccer content on this podcast. Yeah, so if now. you want to see him sing a song at the end of this video, that's that's available to you later. Anyway, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, ruptures his Achilles. The NFL hate that man. The NFL PA releases a demand. That all stadiums be on natural grass playing surfaces. Right. Pat, what do you think the odds are that A, that this is a uh this demand is accepted, and B, that all MLS surfaces are natural grass sometime within, I'll put an artificial time period on this, five years? I think the likelihood is really strong, actually. You know, I mean, just speaking for the MLS side of the conversation, that conversation was already underway, albeit I think prematurely. Uh, because it, the assertion that Messi would not play on turf was debunked by Messi himself. And he said that he basically indicated he was quite happy to, I don't know about happy, but I mean, he did really seem like it. Yeah. Um, Money. I, but look, I, I think there was, there was some idea that, yeah, there's, there's no reason. Plus a lot of these, some of these, not a lot, but some of these MLS stadiums, double as the home venues to NWSL teams. And we know what a long struggle for equal pay and playing conditions and all of that, uh, you know, the women have had to go through on their side of the game. So I think there are, there's, there was already an existing impetus to do this for soccer. Now, obviously in a coach, in a, in a, a co-mingling stadium arrangement where you are um uh, you know bunking with the NFL franchise down the hall you're going to be second fiddle all the time so if the people running the NFL organization want turf you're probably going to get stuck with turf but look Aaron Rodgers is a prominent enough person and I think we need to acknowledge as Tony Kornheiser did today making a really good somewhat contrarian but also correct point to Michael Wilbon that, you know, Aaron, this was not a non-contact injury that happened to Aaron Rodgers. He was forcibly put to the ground by a Bills player. And we right. therefore we cannot say 
that turf alone was the cause of this. But I think getting back on track with the whole theme here, Aaron Rodgers is a prominent enough player. Um, you know, stadiums like Paycor have already been called out by the players union in the NFL uh, for their playing surface. And I think little by little, one by one over time, I think we were probably going to start to see some of these arenas move to grass, I think, even though the upkeep is going to be killer. Um, you know, I mean, other than rain, what's like, what's Portland's excuse? I don't know. Maybe there's a valid one. Maybe that stadium, maybe the, the Portland Timbers and the Thorns have a stadium that was built on swampland and they can't grow grass there. I know they had a problem growing grass at Wembley for a while. Like the quality of the pitch at Wembley in England, in London, was a concern. And I think someone will correct me if I'm wrong here, a, a product of the ground that they chose to build on. I don't, you know, I think it could happen. And I think it would be to everyone's great pleasure to see it go that way. What you, you always hear from Paulson that it's it's about drainage and that the cost is prohibitive. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that to be the case or not to be the case. So but that's what they always it's expensive say. Expensive yeah, okay. All right. It's expensive and, I, and, I, and, I, and I don't follow, you know, Portland's field surface situation enough. But I have always thought like open air, um, and I know it rains there a lot, but yeah. Um I would think it's there's a strong chance where possible and like an, an arena where it might not be possible a couple come to mind jerry world even though the roof is somewhat retractable is it retractable enough to get the sun in that you need right and i would say the same thing about atlanta i'm sorry if i've gone too deep with this guy oh god no this is this it's what you you, I, listen, I, you know what we do here i think i mean like truly in a case of what's your excuse other than being cost effective for the for ownership like MetLife, it's on the East Coast. It's not an area particularly known for. You get a fair dose of rain and sun, which I think would lend itself to growing a good grass field. And that's where Aaron Rodgers got hurt. So, yeah, I think he's a prominent enough athlete. There's been enough of a groundswell of criticism. And I think ultimately, you know, the NFL prints money. If you, they can afford the upkeep, and I know it's significant. I do know that. Um, and you're replacing it in season. But, you know, FC Cincinnati replaces bits and pieces, little, you know, chunks of uh, their surface throughout the year anyway. So um, let's do that system like they got in Barcelona, where the entire field goes underground and they just keep growing the grass or Madrid. I think it's Madrid that they've yeah, got the, yeah, the system. Uh, the Bernabeu. Yeah. The Bernabeu. You know, just install that. They've got the NFL's got the money. They can figure this out. Yeah. Um, my only quite my only follow-up question to that before we get out of segment two here is would you lament the loss of the FCC has trouble playing on turf narrative if that was absolutely the case? I mean, sadly, it's already dead. I was actually I was walking my dog tonight and because I have such a sad, miserable life, I was thinking about when could we realistically see that argument, that whole discussion kick up again? Like how many we've they've won on turf at Atlanta a couple weeks ago. How many losses or bad results, performances, whatever would it take? One, you think? One. 
It one goes more. Back to, it you're goes always back one, to, you're always one bad performance away from a take reemerging. Because the takes it's out been, there, where it's, 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 it's it, once the take has been spoken into existence, it can always come back. The hard part is starting the take in the first place. Right. Man, that's demoralizing that it could <laughs> be. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. And I will be there on the front lines bringing the take back <laughs> to the forefront because it's what I do as as the provocateur. I felt so podcast. bad. I feel I've always felt bad for some of the questions that Pat Noonan and Chris Albright have had to field, some of the, you know, the pratfalls of this organization that just happened to continue under them, you know, but that were largely lived out at a completely different time in FC Cincinnati's history, you know, lack of success on turf and every surface being <laughs> one of them. Um, I tend to think the history on turf has more to do with what I just muttered, which is that FC Cincinnati struggled for the first three years in MLS on literally every yeah. surface. And pretty, they pretty, have sure plenty... a, pretty sure we have a losing record on grass too. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, all right. Well, that'll do it for segment two. Segment three, we're going to do a quick look at the Philadelphia Union match this weekend. Pat, your hometown, try not to get too excited about this. And uh, we'll get out of here, and that'll be a postcast. And we're back. Really, we're just continuing the recording, and I'll insert some music there later. That's the magic of editing after the fact. We've got the Philadelphia Union coming up this weekend. It's a road tilt. Philly, by virtue of the implosion that we discussed in segment two with New England, Philly seems like the uh, odds-on favorite to be the chaser to FC Cincinnati's chase E down the stretch here. Oh, yeah. Um, I would I would probably put my money on them at this point as being the person most likely to unseat FC Cincinnati, the club most likely to unseat FC Cincinnati. They do have a game in hand. They find themselves 46 points, currently 11 back of the FC. They can trim that to a robust eight with a win here. Lots to play for. Um, this is a massive, massive game for FC Cincinnati. Yeah. My take is that a point in this game would be an utterly fantastic result that you should dance in the streets over if you're an FC Cincinnati fan. Pat Brennan, tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, well, because I think FC Cincinnati could find itself in a really uncomfortable place if they lose. Uh, because not only will the union have picked up three points directly, you know, the old classic six pointer, but, um, the game in hand is game looming, hand. is looming large here. 11, po- so they're 11 points back right now, sitting in, sitting fourth. This could quickly unravel, I think. It, it, this is another potential, you know, you asked me how fragile was the situation uh, for that NYCFC match. FC Cincinnati's, you know, they're not coming off of a loss to Miami, but in a different kind of way, this is a potential unraveling point. And I think even if you lose at Philadelphia, um, you cannot do it in unsightly fashion you have to take something out of the game that you can build on for the match after that at montreal so i i mean i you cannot lose i mean look it's going to be tough i don't i don't i'm not particularly optimistic about this one just because i think not only does philly have the incentive of 
you know, being in a really strong position. It's a small window, but it's such a viable route to catching up to FC Cincinnati uh, because of the head-to-head and because of the game in hand. Um, you know, putting all that aside, I think Philadelphia has only lost at Subaru Park four times since 2020. I think they've there have been 10 draws there in, in league play uh, since 2020. So, yeah, a result is a good one. But to, uh, to go against what you said, which was the prompt here, any dropped points is cracking the door, I think, in a, in a, in a dangerous way. But again, Philly plays really well there. And um, it's, it's a tall order. It's a really tall order. Grayson, do you want to take the position that FC Cincinnati is going to win this game this weekend? Shouldn't the, you're the supporter shield leader right now. Shouldn't the expectation and, always be to win? So isn't, I mean, typically what the, the, the axiom is three at home, one on the road. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think now's a good time to bring up, we talked about the elephant in the room, which is the international, um, yeah. the availability of the three international players. We could talk about the baby elephant in the room, which is uh, <laughs> Lucho Acosta is not going to play this game. Yeah. The yellow card accumulation. Yeah. Um, they did go into Philly last year without Acosta and managed a, I think, one-to-one draw. Um, they're taking a better team, even without Acosta, into Philly this year than they took into Philly last year. Um, they didn't have Miazga for that game at Philly. They obviously didn't have Mascara for that game at Philly. Uh, they didn't have Santiago Arias. They may not have him on Saturday, but let's assume that that they do. Um. Alvaro Barrial was still new to that left wing back position. Um, Wobodo was still fairly new in the team, although, you know, I would respond to that by saying I'm not sure he ever looked like he needed to like blend right. into the team. Like I, I think Wobodo was was pretty, pretty great um game one. Um but uh, Philly is, you know, same team that they had last year, you know, basically. Um, they've added Damian Lowe, I think, and they play three at the back sometimes, um, which they didn't really have in the past. Um, so I think, yeah, I'll take us, I'll take us winning. We're taking a better team into, into their place um, than we had. And uh, they also are going to be out uh, their goal scorer in the playoffs, Leon Flack. So, and if I could just add to Grace's points, which were great. Um, while this can be partially attributed to the fact that Philadelphia threw so many resources at CONCACAF Champions League earlier this year and may have, that I think that, it's fair to say that played a role in the team Jim Curtin 
fielded at TQL Stadium when FC Cincinnati beat them 1-0 in April. Um, so maybe they dropped a few results because of Champions League. But I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest that um, this this iteration of the union is maybe a step or two behind last year's team. If you want to say like last year's team was, and it was one of the elite MLS sides and Cincinnati went in there and got a draw against that team. This is not that Philadelphia union team, even factoring for, I think maybe a few dropped points early in the season during the overlap portion of the schedule uh, with the champions league. So does a win here wrap the supporters shield up? Absolutely. And it's again, because it's, you know, I think Pat and Chris will convey to anyone that doesn't already have respect for the union. They will, you know, satisfactorily convey how tough it is to play here, what a road win would mean. And right. uh, yeah, I, I think the high coming off a road win at Philly would carry Cincinnati through to the end. And it being the last head-to-head with one of your direct rivals in the shield race, I think it would pretty sufficiently put this thing to bed. Yeah. Yeah, especially with what happened up in Boston over the last couple of days. Yeah. So I'll what put you, both. What do you think the midfield looks like? Do you think you just slot in Yuya Kubo? Yeah. For Lucio Acosta? I, but I feel great about that. Yeah, I feel fine He's played that. so well lately. And that's the other thing. Another thing you could just, you know, tack on to any one of the arguments you made about uh, Grayson that you made about why they could do well there this weekend. Um, They have the midfield figured out and they have more depth than they did at those positions. Even if like junior's not there. Yeah. Um, The the depth, it's not just the depth in players. It's also that Marco Angulo has so many more minutes under his belt. Yes. And Malik Pinto has so many more minutes under his belt. And also, I mean, you know, not for Absolutely. nothing, they've got Brett Halsey, who has, you know, played incredibly effectively to where, like, the bench depth that this team is working with now versus what they had earlier in the season, it's just I think you feel a lot more comfortable about a lot yeah. more players if you're Pat Noonan going into this game than you would have in April or May even. I think, does, anybody, does anybody know offhand the last time we had our first choice back three? <laughs> Since probably before the the, the international before the gold probably cup, before I think. the gold cup, right? Yeah, yeah. Did they maybe, get any, maybe did Nash- they get one together? Na- for maybe Nashville and Leagues Cup. Sporting, we can pull this up, but I want to. I want to. I feel like the gang was all together for Chivas, maybe. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. I don't think so. Or Sporting Kansas City, the first group stage game, maybe. No, because no, because even Murph, no, yeah, not yeah. that one either. Yeah, Miaska didn't start against Kansas City. I think Mascara didn't start against Chivas. Yeah, Mascara didn't start against Chivas. Been uh, a minute. Yeah. Uh, All right. So Na- Nashville. So Nashville yeah. was the only time, probably since before the Gold Cup. It's wow. just like July, right? That was like June. June. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a minute. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna put you both on the spot here then. Uh Grayson, I'm gonna let you lead off on this. Give me your prediction for this weekend's game. 
Got to do it. One nothing to the FC. God, that would be nice. Pat, are you going to be like so many journalists before you and refuse to predict the game that you're about to cover, or will you go what? on the record no. in front of the American people and Pat, make a Pat prediction? Pat picks the game every week. Yeah. Well, who who hasn't picked the game? Who doesn't? That's pick a big Kirk, big Kirk Herb Street thing. It bothers me all the time. He oh won't pick the God. game. Yeah, I know. Herbie, right? Get a life. Well, just find a different hill to die on. Yeah. You know, I'll, journalistic integrity, I'll, calling a game. I'll die on a journalism hill, but. Not that one. Like, Good. Anyway, I just feel like Philadelphia's situation where, you know, the Shield is maybe a little bit more of a distant hope for them, but jockeying for jockeying for seating in a really tight conference below Cincy right now just feels a little bit more urgent. So I will take the Union 2-0. This game feels like FCC is going to get a point out of it. So I'm going to say it's a 1-1, but they're going to make us sweat it out and they're going to get there. We're oh, going to get yeah. our goal. We're going to get our goal late to sort of snatch the draw from the jaws of defeat. Yeah, on this one. It's got it, that it, kind of vibe to it. I could definitely see it being like a miserable watch if you're yeah. a fan, but ultimately a big sigh of relief at the end of the night. That's kind of what I think best case scenario is without Lucho Acosta on the field, unfortunately. Yeah. Still the engine that drives the ship. So, gentlemen, I think that'll be a postcast. Pat, thank you so much for your time making this marathon journey with us. We, we're nothing if not verbose, so I apologize for taking up so much of your Wednesday evening. Dude, I have had Mo Egger, Lance McAllister try to help me with my verb they don't not i don't go to them but like when they cut me off i'll like end a segment on the radio with them and just be like damn it i was so wordy and wouldn't shut up i'm so self-conscious of that you're among friends here then we're all none of us shut the hell up (laughs) but you're also hoping i assume some small part of you is hoping that people find this to be an enjoyable listen you also have the tool of editing at your disposal which i never use you don't really do it all right. Well, um, yeah, but Pat, yeah, that would be a lot of work. Pat, what makes you what makes you a good listen is you're a good hang. Hey, thanks. And that's that's yeah. all we want is just that's, people come on, be a good hang. I appreciate look, you guys. The goal the goal since we started the postcast is just entertain twelve people. And god damn it, we're entertaining exactly twelve people on a weekly basis. Come on. And now my favorite part of each voyage with you guys. I will spend the rest of my waking hours tonight obsessing and provoking anxiety over anything I might have said that could be even loosely construed as offensive or having broken one of my personal journalistic rules or anything along that. It's just the second guessing that comes with uh, a a, a true sicko. (laughs) We've all been there. Like you get with me, so... I'm going to go pop a clonopin and hopefully I'll be out by 11 p.m. <laughs> so, so is that a long way of saying you don't want to end the postcast for us in our traditional method? Which is how? Fuck Columbus.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cincy Postcast, which is a production of The Post Cincy. You can check us out at thepostcincy.com for all of our written content as well as links to our social media. You can follow us on Twitter and as well you can join us on our Discord server. You can find links to that server both in this episode description as well as on our website. That is where most of our conversations are going on. We have a lovely community there talking about FC Cincinnati, MLS, anything and everything else and everything in between. We also want to give a huge thanks to Jim Trace and the Makers for providing all of the music you've heard throughout this episode. They're an amazing local Cincinnati band. Again, more information about them is in the description of this episode. And if you enjoyed what you listened to and you've made it to the end, so I'm going to assume you liked it or you just can't reach your stop button, please like us, review us, subscribe to us, wherever you are getting your podcasts, that is going to be really, really helpful. But more importantly, share this with a friend. A personal recommendation helps sped a podcast so much further. So please share this if you know somebody in your life who's an FC Cincinnati fan, an MLS fan, somebody that you think would enjoy this, pass it on over. Thank you so, so much again for listening. It blows me away that people continue to listen to us. And thank you so, so much again.